The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. We're going to be continuing on through our, our study of the book of Acts and the birth of the New Testament church. And um, I'm always struck when people underestimate you. Uh, and this, to me, is funny, and it's not funny for them, it's more funny for you, you know, for us, uh, when it happens. So, uh, here's what I, let me give you a personal example. Typically, if I'm meeting someone for the first time, I wait as long as possible to tell them what I do for a living. I don't want, I, I try not to let people know that I'm a preacher. And so, I'm hoping by not telling them that, that they'll be more comfortable. Maybe they'll just be themselves and, and not be uh, influenced even subconsciously by, no, oh, well, that's the preacher, you know, you better behave yourself, preacher. So, you know, I, I don't like that. I, I'm, just, I'm just a person. There's nothing special about me. But uh, so anyway, I try to hold off on telling people what I do for a living. But it never fails, though, when people do finally find out my uh, calling, my profession, their behavior changes almost immediately. And I find it pretty funny because people are usually pretty surprised when they find out what I do, especially people that I went to high school with. Uh, when I hadn't seen somebody for 25 or 30 years now, this year, 30 years, and, I, and they say, hey, so what are you doing now? Uh, well, I'm a preacher. What? You're what? Well, you've changed. Yeah, that's usually what happens. And so there's a surprise. There's kind of a... I have one fellow who, um, who works out in the same gym where I go, and, and he said he was saying to another person just last week, man, it was almost a year before I knew he was a preacher. I'm sitting over here cussing and talking like that. I'd have never done that if I'd have known he was a preacher. It's like, well, I'm not the judge. I'm a witness. Maybe you shouldn't have been doing it not knowing I was a preacher. You know, but that's, that's between you and, and the Lord. But uh, that's what happens. So that kind of surprise or maybe confusion about, well, I didn't expect that from that person, it's kind of a similar thing to what's in our text today. Because in Acts chapter 4, remember last week we talked about uh, in chapter 3 how Peter and John were going to the temple and they healed this lame man. Well, today we're going to see in chapter 4 what happened to them. They got arrested for doing a good deed. You know the old saying, no good deed goes unpunished. Well, the funny thing was the way the religious leaders treated Peter and John. They didn't understand, well, how in the world these two nobodies hadn't been to school, hadn't had training, hadn't studied theology or anything like that. How can they know the Scriptures so well? But they had forgotten they had spent three and a half years with the author of the scriptures. And so they were a little bit surprised when they encountered these two face to face. And so that's what we're going to see today in Acts chapter 4. We'll look at verses 1 to 22 today and kind of tie into the story from last Sunday in chapter 3. So follow along with me if you will. Acts chapter 4 verses 1 through 22. Here's what Luke writes as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed 
because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. There's a little detail right there. Don't miss it. Verse 4, the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So the church was much bigger. That's just the men, not the women and the children. So the families, there was much more than 5,000 people at that point. Verse 5, on the next day, the, the rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas, the high priest, was there, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. When they placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them on account of the people because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray today you will speak clearly to us, give us understanding of your word that we might be obedient to it and glorify you by living it out each day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's three things in this text today that are pretty straightforward and almost uh, self-explanatory, but we're going to talk just for a moment about each one as we go through this text. First of all, Jesus is the one who grows His church. It's just that simple. We, we preach, we study, we reach out, we tell people about Jesus, but in the final analysis, Jesus grows His church. He's the one. He's the one that does it, and here's why. If you look at the first four verses of this text, you see what's happening. Peter and John are getting in trouble, okay? They encountered this man at the temple gate last week. We looked at chapter 3. They 
were used by God to heal this man. Remember, Peter looked at him and said, hey, we don't have silver and gold, but I'll give you what I've got. Stand up in the name of Jesus and walk. And he did. So that was amazing. It was a miracle. And God did that. So now they're getting in trouble. But look, as soon as we get told that the, the priest and the, the Sadducees and uh, the temple guard, everybody comes up to them and carries them off, as soon as we get to, to see that, Look at the very next sentence. It's, it's in verse 4. People believe the message. See, the preaching was already done at this point. See, in, in chapter 3, if you remember last week to chapter 3, the first, I don't know, 8, 10 verses give us the account of the miracle of the man being healed. And then the rest of the chapter is Peter preaching the gospel. Because, you know, with Peter and John and the apostles, everything that happens is an opportunity to preach the gospel. It doesn't matter. It's almost like Billy Graham. This is what puts, puts me in mind of Billy Graham. You talk about a legacy. Billy Graham had an uncommon, that's unfortunate that it's uncommon. He had an uncommon way. It doesn't matter what situation he's in. I, I used to love to watch Billy Graham get interviewed on the news, like Larry King or any of these big-name guys who want to interview him, because it didn't matter what the question was, Billy always had a way to turn it into telling people about Jesus. And, I mean, you could ask him about uh, the situation in the Middle East, or you could ask him about the poverty in the United States. You could ask him any question at all, and he would say, he would always say something about that and then immediately redirect it to, Jesus is the only answer for forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Every time. Every time. So Peter... It's, like, it's almost like the same situation here. Peter and John, the apostles, they were called to be uh, witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. Right? That's the, the bedrock of the Christian faith is the resurrection. And so they were testifying of the truth of the resurrection. So even though they got in trouble, verse 4 says that, but people who had already heard the message believed, got saved, and the church grew. So the numbers... 5,000 men. You remember just last chapter, it was the end of chapter 2, it was 3,000. Right now it's 5,000. So the church is growing. Because remember Acts 2.47? The Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. So it's just it's growing by leaps and bounds. And so at this point, the church is tremendous in size. And so we need to know Jesus is the one who grows His church. It doesn't matter that the apostles got in trouble, they got arrested because we know that they were teaching the people, they were proclaiming the resurrection, so Jesus grows his church. Number two, Jesus is the only source of salvation. This is one of the most uh, well-known, repeated, iconic verses in this first part of Acts, maybe in the whole book of Acts. Acts 4.12, we'll see, it's the end of this paragraph. This paragraph, verse 5 down to verse 12, you see who's there, because we just heard that Peter and John got arrested. So now you get a little bit of a roll call who's there. And I want you to pay attention very carefully to two names that are listed beginning in verse 5. Two of the priests that were there, Annas and Caiaphas, especially Caiaphas, he was one of the, the, the chief priests who had uh, interrogated Jesus leading up to his crucifixion. So these people weren't just, in other words, they weren't just uh, members of that group. They were key members of that group. They had personally participated 
in sending Jesus to Pilate to be tried and ultimately convicted and crucified, killed. So they, they had blood on their hands. I mean, all sinners have blood on our hands. We all do. But these, these brothers here, they were directly involved. So when you see Annas the high priest and Caiaphas, those two guys were directly involved uh, in sending Jesus to be crucified. And there, here's their question. By what authority are you doing this? Because you, you see later in the text, they can't, no one can deny what happened. No one can uh, express any doubt that a miracle took place. The man is standing there. They've seen him for more than 40 years, and he's, he's begging at the temple gate because he's crippled and he can't walk. And there he is standing around. He's been, uh, the Bible said last week in chapter 3, he was walking and leaping and praising God. Same man who was crippled since birth. So no one can deny the miracle took place. So you notice the question. It's not, well, did this really happen? It's by what authority did it happen? Because here's the the subtle, unspoken principle that's at work here. These religious leaders, the establishment, so to speak, they weren't so concerned with what happened as they were concerned about if they were going to be ousted from power. What, what is it that, that captivates people, even in our culture, the desire for power, control. You see it almost in every context of, of human interaction and life. Look, just think about this individually. Think about your own uh, profession, your own job, people you work with. Is there any jockeying for position or trying to advance, maybe by any means necessary, I just I want to be in charge. Boy, if, if I could just run this place for a week, boy, I would make some changes. Things would be so much better until you're sitting in the chair. And then maybe there's some things you didn't realize. And the job's not as easy as it appears from the outside looking in. And, and maybe you don't know everything that goes on. Maybe you don't have better ideas. Maybe the things you thought were going to work would make you fall flat on your face. You know, there's all kinds of un known factors that factor into the, that situation. So there's a power-hungry group. They were in authority, and they wanted to stay in authority. So they're threatened by this power. You know, with these two people, especially Annas and Caiaphas, being part of this group, they know what happened with Jesus. They were there. And they thought, wasn't that the whole point? It's better that one man die for the people than for the whole nation to perish. Did those words sound familiar? So it's, it's first-hand knowledge. Hey, we're, we better squash this movement that Jesus has started quickly or they're going to come and take away our place and our nation. We won't be in, in power anymore. And they had Jesus killed. Well, guess what? We all know how that ended. He's alive. Forevermore, Jesus is alive. So they thought they had put a stop to his movement, then he rose from the dead. Now his followers are continuing to walk the same line that he was walking because they followed his example. 
So they wanted to know by whose authority or in what name they had healed the man. And Peter spoke, and, and there's a very important phrase there in verse 8. You see what it says right after it says, Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter was not speaking with his own authority nor his own strength. He was being used and dwe- he was indwelt by the Holy Spirit we, from Pentecost chapter 2. But now his power, his authority is coming directly from God. He's speaking on God's behalf. So it says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says. He addresses the religious establishment, rulers and elders of the people. And then he says, are, are, you, are we really in trouble because we did something good? It's almost like Peter sees through this nonsense, this facade of, oh, we're worried about the miracle. No, they're not. They're worried about losing their authority. That's why they want to know. They said, are we really in trouble because we did something good for this man? I mean, most people are sitting there rejoicing because he's healed. I know his mom and daddy are. You know, he's been crippled since birth and now he's okay. And everybody's happy except for you. So he says, basically, make no mistake how it happened. All of you, he says, let let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel. So all of you, the religious leaders, and all the people of Israel, everybody needs to know the power of the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. It's the power of Jesus that made this miracle happen. And so there's, there's no uh, misunderstanding, there's no confusion. Verse 10, Jesus Christ the Nazarene, it's by His name that this man stands here before you in good health. And he, he takes even a moment in the midst of answering the question. You see what he says? He didn't just say it was Jesus. He says, oh, you remember, the one you crucified, but the one God raised from the dead, that one, that Jesus. He's, he's preaching the gospel in the middle of his defense. So it's almost like, well, he's on the, de- on the defense, but he's actually going on the attack because he's preaching the gospel as he's defending himself. And I just want to take a moment to put us in mind of two verses of Scripture from Luke's gospel. Because, you know, Luke is the author of Acts as well. Okay? So do you remember what Luke recorded, what Jesus said when Luke wrote the gospel of Luke? There's a verse in there where Jesus is talking about, to his disciples, they're worried, what's going to happen if we get arrested? What's going to happen if we get drug into court and we have to testify? What do we say? Do you, do you remember? And in Luke 12, 12, Jesus told them, don't worry about what you're going to say. He said, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit's going to tell you what to say at that moment. Well, guess what just happened? Verse 8 says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said. This is a direct fulfillment of what Jesus said back in the, Luke, uh, in the Gospel of Luke in, in chapter 12, verse 12, the Holy, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit is going to tell you what to say. And He did. He did. Then again in Luke 21, verses 14 and 15, Jesus said this, Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. That's exactly what's happening. So in Luke 12 and in Luke 21, Jesus told them, hey, I got you covered. You're going to get in trouble 
If you follow me, you're going to get in trouble. But guess what? I got you covered. Don't, don't worry about what you're going to say. I'll give you what you need to say. And that's exactly what we're looking at right here. The name of Jesus, the one you crucified, the one God raised from the dead. Then he quotes Psalm 118, verse 22. He says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. The builders, the religious leaders, you rejected the Messiah. Now he's the chief cornerstone of the Christian faith because of his life, death, and resurrection. That's who Jesus is. So in this moment, F.F. Bruce said it this way. He said the apostles are technically on the defensive, but actually they've gone over to the attack. Peter proceeds to preach the gospel to his judges, and he bases his argument on a well-known Old Testament text, that one from Psalm 118, about the stone the builders rejected. And he ends his argument in verse 12 with this wonderful truth we should all remember. There is salvation in no one else but Jesus. There is no other name by which we must be saved. And I want you to notice the words in that sentence. Must be saved. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Not by which we can be saved. Not by which we hope to be saved. We, if, if you're going to be saved, if you're going to be forgiven, if you're going to go to heaven when you die, you must be saved by Jesus Christ. There's just no other way. And it's perhaps nowhere else in the Bible is it more clear than right there. You must be saved by Jesus if you're going to be saved at all. Jesus grows His church. Jesus is the only source of salvation. Last point today, number three, Jesus is our strength in the face of opposition. The way this... this paragraph ends verse 13 down to verse 22 Peter and John had a great deal of confidence they were not afraid I mean imagine typical human nature when you know you've done nothing wrong but you're dragged into court you're arrested and you're sitting what I mean what do I do what do I say how do I get across to these people that I'm innocent I haven't done anything wrong Peter and John were full of confidence and it was enough to where the religious leaders took note. Look at verse 13. They observed the confidence of Peter and John and they understood they were uneducated and untrained men. They were common. common. You know what the Greek word there is? Idiotis. Sound familiar? They were idiots. In the eyes of the religious establishment, they were idiots. That's what they thought of them. They thought they were just stupid. You don't know anything. How can you dare to debate us? We're the, you know, the high and mighty. We know everything. But look at the end of verse 13. They were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. So you don't have to be so intellectual or intelligent or strong or important in the world's eyes to be authoritative and confident when you're, you're standing on the authority 
of God and His Word. This, this is the authority right here. If, if I stand up here and I try to tell you what you need to believe and what you need to think, and I don't speak directly from this right here, I would hope that everybody with good sense would be walking out the door. Because there is no authority in the, in the person that's preaching the Word. The authority is in the Word that's being preached. Jesus has the authority. Peter and John were untrained, uneducated, common idiots in the world's eyes. But they had spent three and a half years with Jesus. And that's what made the difference. That's what made the difference in their lives. So the story goes on and ends. The people see, the, the leaders see the men uh, with the confidence speaking back to them. They see the man who had been healed standing with them. And so they can't say anything. They can't deny the miracle. So they decided, well, we'll just, we'll just point our finger and warn them not to say anything else. We'll give them a stern warning. I want you to, to take note of one detail here at the end of this story. They warned them. They told them not to teach or preach or speak in this name, the name of Jesus. But it's particularly striking that not on this occasion or any other occasion after this recorded in the book of Acts. Okay? This is the warning. You can't talk about Jesus anymore. But not here or anywhere else in Acts did the authorities take any serious action to disprove the apostles' main preaching point, the resurrection. It, they, didn't, they didn't try to disprove the resurrection because that's what they were mad about, right? The Sadducees were there. They don't believe there is a resurrection. Here's the corny joke for the day. The Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. That's why they're so sad, you see. All right, just file that away. You can use it later. Don't give me credit for it because I didn't make it up. All the religious leaders, they did not try to disprove the resurrection. Had it seemed possible to disprove the resurrection, don't you think they would eagerly jump at the opportunity to just put all this to, to, to an end? Because if you disprove the resurrection, the movement stops. Right? It's over. But they didn't do that. You know why? Because they can't. Because <laughs> it's the truth. You can't disprove the truth. So they didn't try to disprove the resurrection at that point or any time forward because they could not disprove the resurrection. Had it been achieved, the whole movement would have collapsed. So just, just let that simmer in your mind to know the reason why they didn't is because they couldn't. Because it's true, Jesus is alive. Peter and John chose to obey God rather than men. You see what they said to the religious leaders there in verses 19 and 20. We get to the end of our passage today. They say, we cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. In other words, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the subsequent coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and everything that happened, there's so much influence, 
so many amazing things that happen to these men. They can't stop talking about it. Have you ever experienced something you just want to tell everybody? You just can't. It's so amazing. You just feel like you've got to tell everybody you run into. You're not going to believe what happened. And then you tell them a story. You ever had anything like that? Well, guess what? If you're a Christian, you should have had something like that happen. And, and you ought to be telling everybody, right? Because they can't stop talking about what they've seen and heard. This is not a radical Christian. This is a normal Christian. You hear what I said? This is normal Christianity. You have an encounter with Jesus, you see what He's done in your own life and the lives of others. You can't stop talking about it because it's so amazing. That's normal Christianity. Everybody was glorifying God for what had happened. The man who was healed, as I said, was more than 40 years old. And in fact, Luke points out by way of explaining the extent of the public amazement he's saying the cripple who had been cured was over 40 years old so what that means is he had reached an age where cures like this especially for a congenital defect it just doesn't happen that's why everybody was so amazed so so what do we need to learn from this that that's our text that's our story those are the three points jesus grows his church jesus is the only source of salvation and jesus is our strength against opposition that's what the text teaches us, but what do we take away from that? What do we need to do leaving here? How does that affect our lives? First of all, we can be assured that Jesus is going to save people. When we're faithful to tell, share, preach the gospel, proclaim the resurrection of Christ, when, we're, when we love people, listen, listen to me, it's not, it's not a message detached from a life. Okay? What gives credibility to our witness? It's when, it's when we love people, when we're kind to people, when, when they see... You know what the, the, the biggest um, credibility booster for the message of the gospel is when someone can hear what you're saying and then look at your life and say... That really has made a difference in that person. They're not, they're not the same. Or else, at the very least, they're different than a lot of people I know. Or, you know what the best case scenario is? Somebody that's known you a long time. Somebody that knew you when you weren't so nice. Now, I know, when I say that, I know everybody in here, you've always been nice. I understand that. None of you have a past. None of you have ever you know, acted unkind or anything like that. I get it. But I'm just saying, if you were to be like that, and if Jesus did really make a dramatic change in who you are, who better to realize that than people who know you well? So when you share the gospel of Christ, and it's backed up by a life that looks different, you, you can't discount that. Okay? We can be assured Jesus will save people when we're faithful to proclaim the gospel. Secondly, we can be assured Jesus is the only way for someone to be saved. And if we really know and believe that from Acts 
then we have to be intentional and consistent in our sharing of the gospel because basically we know the solution to the problem and if we don't share it, that is not kind. It's not loving. So if we know Jesus is the only way and we fail to share, it's like somebody lying there in a hospital bed with a disease and we got the, the cure in our pocket, but we just keep it to ourselves. That's, that's the practical comparison. We have the solution for forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And third, Jesus gives us the strength and confidence we need to be faithful even when we face opposition because we're going to face, if you follow Jesus, you're going to face opposition and ultimately persecution. The more you testify about the truth of Jesus, the more you talk about Jesus, the more you share the gospel, you're going to face opposition. It's just going it's to happen. But we can be confident that the Holy Spirit is going to give us the right words at the right time to make a difference in somebody else's life. There really is, there's no other name. There's no other name but the name of Jesus to save us from our sins, to cleanse us from unrighteousness. So we need to make our heart's desire to be intentional and consistent about telling other people about Jesus. That, that's the loving, kind thing to do when you know the answer to tell somebody. Tell somebody about Jesus. There's no other name that will save. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.